A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Due to the graphic nature of the content, Detective may not be suitable for all audiences. I do think that some people want me to succeed in the communities, and they have expressed that because they see me there, you know, when nobody else is there. They'll see me at night or they see me in the morning or I have lunch in the area, and it's like, you're still over here. And I'm like, well, I have to be because I don't have anything on this case. I have nothing. And, you know, people have wished me luck or encouraged me, you know, not to give up. I'm Garnsey Sloan for Investigation Discovery, and this is Season 2 of Detective, True Stories from Behind the Yellow Tape the ones you don't hear on TV. That was Gary McFadden speaking. He was a homicide detective for over 27 years, a man with a personal connection to murder, which led to a long career putting away some of Charlotte's worst criminals. Over the course of his career, Gary developed a strong bond with the community he was there to protect and serve. But even though he was well-connected, there were still times that he got handed a case and had no idea where to start. Even with no one to call, Gary still turned to the people of Charlotte to help set him on the right track. You go back to the area where the homicide occurred and you develop new relationships. I go to the churches. I go to community events. I show up to events where they don't expect officers or detectives to show up. I will come to the community and just hang out for a minute and say, you know, I'm working this case and can you help me? You know, you don't have the atmosphere or the attitude that I'm the police at this point. You just come and just kind of hang out and sometimes they almost feel sorry for you. You know, you're just there just kind of saying, I've got this case and I have no leads, I have nothing. Can you help me? It's an opportunity to learn and it is my opportunity to build relationships in that community that I did not have relationships in. Gary believes in being honest. He has seen how being open with people has helped him develop a close network in the city of Charlotte. You start building contacts and then people kind of gravitate towards you. Once they see that you are honest, you know, sincere about what you're doing, then they kind of gravitate towards you. I do think that some people want me to succeed in the communities and they have expressed that because they see me there you know, when nobody else is there. They'll see me at night or they see me in the morning or, 
you know, I have lunch in the area. And it's like, you're still over here. And I'm like, well, I have to be because I don't have anything on this case. I have nothing. And, you know, people have wished me luck or, or encouraged me, you know, not to give up. And a great part of it is they are thankful for that. And when they said, we thank you for really considering this as one of your major cases. As Gary continued to find ways to connect with the people around him, he found their support was unwavering, even when Gary couldn't prove his case. It was a murder. It was a murder of a young lady. She was killed by some drug dealers. The community rallied around me with the non-traditional witnesses. You know, all of my witnesses had criminal backgrounds and they were in the street selling drugs. But when I was looking for one witness or two witnesses, they assisted me. They saw the effort that I wanted to give this case and the attention I wanted to give this case, and they rallied around me. Despite the efforts of Gary and his witnesses, the case was actually doomed from the start due to an error at the crime scene. The shirt was over the victim. The forensic evidence was taken off the shirt, you know, the fibers in the hair and everything uh, was taken from the shirt. And it was collected properly, attached to the bag, and the process is to go now to the lab to be analyzed. But the person did not document it properly, so it was never analyzed. I made one gigantic mistake in that case, and I say gigantic because it was a mistake, and I don't like making mistakes. And I allowed someone else to review my evidence with the district attorney, and they did not document properly what they did with the district attorney, and it came back to bite me. The issue was that some trace evidence had been placed in the bag, along with all the other evidence Gary and the Charlotte PD had wanted to enter into the trial. However, the trace evidence was not documented, so no one in the courtroom knew it was there. When they reviewed the evidence with the attorneys, they should have seen that the trace evidence was still attached to the bag, and they'd made no documentation of the trace evidence still attached to the bag. So when we got to court, the trace evidence, which was not processed, was still attached to the bag. And it was only noticed while the technician was on the stand. And everybody said, what is that attached to the bag? It was a courtroom nightmare. Not only did the forensic team miss essential evidence, but finding out about it on the stand brought the entire police department's professionalism into question. And as lead detective, Gary got hit the hardest. The attorney, in his closing arguments, talked about that. And he said, we all know Detective McFadden. We know how he attacks a case. He loses no cases in court. And we know how important evidence is to him. And he showed several photographs of me on the crime scene. And he said, these photographs shows professionalism. These photographs shows that he does not want his evidence contaminated. And you can see this one photograph where he is actually collecting the shirt himself. So no other items can fall upon the shirt or contamination of evidence. So if he took all of those measures to ensure that that evidence would be submitted as evidence in court, surely it's that important to you that you know what that evidence is, but we do not. That was true. We took all the precautionary measures to um, present this evidence in court. And it was never analyzed, so the jury took that to heart. Gary lost the case, but the hardest part of the entire ordeal didn't come until three years later. After the trial, the DNA evidence came back three years later, and nobody can explain how it came back three years later. It was against the defendant, so it's still an unexplainable thing, 
I still don't have an answer years later, but um, that's the only case I lost in trial. The case still haunts Gary to this day, but what he remembers most was what the victim's mother said to him the night she found out about her daughter's murder. I gave her mother the death notification that night. Her mother woke up out of bed, an elderly lady in her night slippers and a nightgown coming to the door, you know, with a headscarf on, and, and I gave her the death notification um, in the middle of the night. And something she said really touched my heart. She said, young man, I want you to be careful out there. It's very dangerous. And I said, thank you, ma'am. And she said, you be careful. You have a dangerous job. And, you know, I had just given her a death notification of her daughter, and she was concerned about my welfare. It's hard to imagine what it's like to be in that situation. But Gary put himself in the victim's family's shoes and made sure they felt supported throughout the entire case. Once I find a lead, I called him. I said, I got this lead. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I'm going to go on it. Or I got this DNA evidence. It's great, or it's not so good. So when we get to court, there are no surprises. There's no surprises in court. I traveled to other states to get expert witnesses that were not used. And I told them when I was going to other states to say, I have an expert witness to testify about this in the case, and we never used them. They saw the effort that I wanted to give this case and the attention I wanted to give this case, and they rallied around me. So that was one of the cases that still haunts me. We put a lot of effort in it. So when we lost the case in court, believe it or not, they felt sorry for me. They, they were upset for me because they saw that the efforts that I had put into this case took some time, and it was difficult for me to lose this case. The bond forged between Gary and the victim's family left a lasting impression. A lesson Gary applied to every case he worked in his career. But sometimes, these connections led to bigger surprises later on. It was 1992, um, and we got this case where a young lady was killed in a, um, an abandoned house. She had five kids, I think five kids at the time. And so when we worked in the case, we had to go to the home and deal with the kids because they were home alone. And um, came in contact with five great kids. And one kid stood out, April, and we called the other Bootsy and Tyrone and Big Mike and all of those. And um, they were like five, six, seven years old. They were kids. And so June of 1992, I had to take these kids to their grandmother's house. And their grandmother lived not far away, and she lived with two of her adult kids, Diane and Grover. It was heartbreaking to see these children lose their mother. But Gary felt confident leaving them with their grandmother and older siblings. But only a few weeks later, Gary received a phone call. I got a call to go out to Katona Avenue. And um, Katona Avenue was a street where a lot of violence happened. So when we got the call, it was just sadly to say it was a regular area we frequent often in that area. When we got there, I noticed that was the house that I had just took April and her brothers and sisters. And I thought about that. And we walked into the house, and we discovered that Diane and Grover had been shot and killed. So at that time, I instantly said, well, I know there's some kids in this house someplace. And I remember picking up a big Tweety Bird, a yellow Tweety Bird, and had it under my arm. And I was calling for April, and she was hiding in the woods in the back of the house, so frightened, scared, and everything. And I gave her the Tweety Bird stuffed animal and brought her back to the house, and we started to investigate the case. Other four kids were fine. They were scattered in the neighborhood with relatives, so we brought them back, and everybody, you know, were fine. 
And so then I was thinking to myself, here are these kids witnessed a murder. And 30 days prior to that, they had just lost their mother to a murder. And so these kids were going to now be raised by different families. They were going to be separated and they go in different directions. Her brothers went in different directions. April went in different directions. So you have to look at what causes kids on the street to go array or be in mischief or in the life of crime. So you look at these kids. They have been subjected to violence twice in 30 days. As much as Gary tries to stay connected to his victims' families, it's only natural that people grow apart. Little did Gary know that this was not the last time he would come across April and her family. So 2010, I'm at the end of my career, going to retire in a year, so winding things down, but still answering calls and still working murders. So we get this call on south side of the city that there has been a shooting. A young man was shot in the street. So we got the call, and I went over there and started investigating the case. Didn't really recognize Mike, Big Mike as they call him, didn't really recognize him, didn't really register in my head. Because at that time, it's 1992, and then you're talking many, many, many years after that. So I started investigating the case, and somebody said, well, his brother's Bootsy was with him when he was killed. And Mike and little Bootsy or Bootsy were coming to rescue their niece, was being bullied by girls in the street and the girls were fighting her and chasing her and she finally got to a phone and asked for her uncles to come and get her and so they were coming to get her and or rescue her and so they came over to get her and as they stepped out of the car they parked the car and as they got out of the car speaking to the other little girls in the crowd not doing anything towards them they were just simply getting out of the car and a shot rang out and someone shot Mike from behind a building and shot and killed him. So investigating that case, they were telling me his name is Michael Smith, and I was like, Michael Smith? And he was with his brother's Bootsy. And I was like, wow, that's Big Mike, and that's April's brother. And so when I called the family together to talk about the murder, they came to the law enforcement center, and I was standing in the parking lot, and when they walk up to me, it was actually like seeing your children coming to visit you. And they walked up to me, and these are grown adults, and people were standing around, and they hugged me, and they said, oh, my God, I can't believe that you work in another murder in our family. So, sadly, it was a reunion of the Smith family and me being introduced to the younger siblings of the Smith family. But we took the case to court, and we won the case in court, and the people who shot Mike went to prison. Despite the tragedies that had befallen the Smith family, they felt a bond to Gary, as he had worked with them from the very beginning. However, once Gary learned the motive for Big Mike's murder, it reminded him of the cyclical nature of violence. The motive was just hate. The motive was just people in the neighborhood just being stupid. They just shot Mike for no reason. They didn't have anything to do with the fight. They didn't have anything to do with the girls. They just may for some reason didn't like Mike or something, and they thought he was coming to do something. And as he stepped out of the car, he was shot and killed. Despite the hardships he has seen over the course of his career, Gary believes there is still hope, and he works towards breaking the cycle of violence every day. Well, I think that we break the cycle by honestly sitting down, having conversations with the young men and women who are into violence. And we sit down and actually give them our time and effort. We can't do it on a weekend. We can't do it every third Saturday. 
of the month. We can't do it with balloon releases. We can't do it with stop the violence rallies and we give out hot dogs and do the bouncy, bouncy things. We can't do it that way. We have to sit down and talk to these kids and talk to these young adults. And I believe these are the things that we need to do to break this cycle of violence. We drop the everyday symbolisms thinking that we're doing something. Be in their lives, talk to them honestly, be there when they need you, and don't make it as a showcase. Don't, as we say, pimp them out. Don't flaunt them in front of an audience. Be there, talk to them, and make sure that you are honest and upfront with them. As a way of staying connected to his community, Gary has had the same phone number for over 20 years, and he always answers a call. Always. I do. I get calls. Somebody said, somebody gave me your number. Can you help me? And I'll try to help them. Or I'll get young men who come out of prison. They'll get their stuff 15 years later, and they're going through their stuff, and, and they'll call me. And they said, is this Mac Fadden? I'm like, yeah. He said, man, you still got the same number? I'm like, I got the same number. Man, that's cool, man. We still got the same number. And we'll talk about what they did in prison and, you know, how they're going to help themselves. And I think it's helpful because, you know, it's a circle. I hope to circle back to these young men and trying to help them. One young man had my number when he got out of prison. He called me, and I met him for lunch. And he said, man, I'm going to always keep your number. And when he went to apply for a job on the application, it was my name. And the uh, employer said, you have the detective's phone number, cell phone number. And they called me, and I vouched for him, and he got that job. And so I think it's important for us to be accessible. I think sometimes we're not accessible, and that may show that we are not caring. I do not want to ever have that impression of me that I'm not caring. So that's why I give my phone number out. As he mentioned, Gary is willing to be a reference for ex-convicts. He believes in rehabilitation and works to help former inmates reintegrate themselves into society. I believe that a person can change their life. I can. I believe if we give them the right resources and we are really into their lives and really assisting them, they went to prison because they had to be accountable for what they did. We give them a certain amount of years to say, because of the crime that you have done, we're going to give you these years to be accountable. So if the person did 50 years and said, okay, we're going to give you a 50-year sentence, and he comes out at 50 years, and he's 70 years old, you know, because he goes in at 20, he has served his time. He has been punished. We have said 50 years equal to the crime that you have done. Then when that person comes out, I think that we should support him and put him in society and give him the necessary resources to rebound. If we do not, he will continue to commit crimes. And that is where I think we fail a lot of times. If the crime is such so much violence, such heinous, and we say life, then we say he's not going to get out. We've said you cannot come back in society. You will not function. That is what a life sentence or a death sentence is. If we give a person 15 or 20 years and we said, we're going to punish you for 15 or 20 years, and after we punish you, you have served your time and you come out, support that person after they get out. Make that person understand that we are here for you. Put it in their head. We're going to be here for you, and we're going to support you. And so you can help others understand not to go to prison. If not, we're going to continue to have repeat offenders. You know, people going in and going out because we've never, ever attached ourselves to them. Detective is produced by Investigation Discovery and is part of the Panoply Network. With special thanks to Kevin Bennett, Amy Ancelowitz, and Emily Kaiser. This episode was produced by Tom Hina. 
Many thanks to the best audio engineer in the business, Joe Powers. Original music was composed by the talented Chris Kennedy and remixed by Joe Powers. Cover art was designed by Non Galat. Sign up now on iTunes to get new episodes of Detective on your feed. And join me, Garnsey Sloan, next week for an all-new episode. Until then, check out crimefeed.com for all your latest crime news. On the next episode of Detective, the case Gary will never forget. The 911 call came in from a child, and it says that his brother is dead, and his daddy is there, and you all need to come. So I got to the hospital, and medic was emotional, men and women. As I approached the room where Elijah was, nurses were consoling each other. The doctor had his arms around another doctor. And it was a scene that I've never seen before. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.